0: The year is 1981, and South Africa's white minority government is embroiled in a conflict on the southern border with Angola. Like all white boys over the age of 16, Nicholas Vanderswart, played by Kai-Luke Broomer, must complete two years of compulsory military service. In Oliver Harmonis' fourth feature, Moffy explores the life of a closeted young boy serving his mandatory military service during the apartheid era in South Africa. It's an adaptation of an iconic memoir. The film serves as a brilliant period piece exposing the psychological violence of institutionalized homophobia. We're joined today by the director and screenwriter of Mafi, and that would be Oliver Hermanus. Oliver, welcome to Film School Radio.
1: Hi, and hi, Mike. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. How did you come upon this particular project? What uh, What prompted you to take this on?
1: Um, The producers actually got in touch with me and asked if I'd read the book and if I would be interested in an adaptation of the book. I read it and we discussed it for some time. It was a little bit tricky for me, to be honest, in the beginning, because I'm not a white South African, and this is very much the story of a white South African man's remembrance of his military conscription. You only had to do conscription in South Africa if you were a white person or a white boy, so this is not my personal history, nor is it the personal history of my my father. We were the, on the oppressed side of the apartheid system. So it was a strange was a strange ask if somebody says to you, would you like to make a movie about the trauma of white men during apartheid as a non-white person in South Africa? It's uh, also because, you know, you, as, a, as an African director, you're always thinking about what will my apartheid film be because it's such an obvious thing to explore as a filmmaker as a storyteller and i maybe just never thought that Morphe would be the film that i might make about uh the apartheid system but it, it 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 became that it was it was a film that i i would say this i i i feared the idea and then i learned to appreciate the fear and then i think that allowed me to consider adapting it into a film
0: did what you just described does that sharpen your focus on particular aspects of apartheid? I mean, there isn't a lot of material in here outside of the military as it it relates to apartheid and also to the violence perpetrated on the Angolan people. I mean, there are, certainly there are aspects of it, but what did it do for you as an artist to sort of sharpen your focus in a particular area or a certain way of telling the story?
1: It was the idea that I was making a film about you know, white teenagers, and and exploring their militarization, but also kind of the the brainwashing that was going to happen to them. And it was it was making me explore, in a way, the idea of the enemy. You know, the the enemy of of the liberation movement in South Africa was the was the authority of white men. It was the racism of white men. It was the political systems that white men were holding up and were using to limit the the lives of everyone else. And so. Here I was going to explore the machine that produced those men, but I was not going to explore it purely as a way of of villainizing it. I was actually going to I was trying, or had hopefully tried, or succeeded with Morphe in exploring it in a way that humanized these men and made me understand, you know, their experiences as without it being my kind of critique of them. It was really my empathizing with them, which which. I think was the great challenge of my perspective on making a film about this time in our history.
0: It's interesting, but just as I'm thinking this through and as you're, as I was listening to your answer, this is kind of the tip of the spear of the weaponizing of, of not just apartheid, but of, of, as you said, sort of a a system of repression. And Mm -hmm. that at the end of the day, as we see the most important thing is the preservation of that particular system is more so than than anything else
1: absolutely the system was key and this the system was you know it was a broad it had, it, it, the, the ideology at the at the heart of the system was racial was, you know racial superiority it was a combination of of a religious a christian fundamental you know the dutch reformed church and the, the apartheid government kind of the the, the, the ideas that filled the, the head of the nationalist party was this combination of Christian values and, and white supremacy, and that sort of trickled down into, into the home life of, of every person. And its core was a very conservative way of life and a, a very preserv- preservatory way of life that was all about conserving the, the, the separation between races because the heart of it, white people were just more, more important and better than black people. That was kind of what the attitude was. And in some
0: ways, and please correct me if I'm veering off into some uncharted territory here, but in some ways, Nicholas Van der Swart is also—he's a traitor uh, because of his of his sexuality—and
1: yes. so that which is... which I found quite, yeah, yeah, I right. found quite fascinating because you know in, during apartheid there was a terminology of enemies of the state. You, know, you an enemy of the state in some ways we believe that every every person who was not white, every non-white person was an enemy of the state because you you, you were being denied and everything about you was criminal. Everything about your desires as a human being was kind of outlawed. You had no basic access to things and everything you did, your movements, your, you couldn't, you know, you, you couldn't, people could not have relationships across racial lines. You know, the idea of white black people, white mixed race people, you know, having romantic affairs was illegal as well. And being gay was illegal. And so here was the one thing you could be as a white man in a system that completely is designed for you and for you to succeed. The one way that you could become an enemy of the state is if you were gay, and that would make you as dangerous and problematic to the state as, as as any other enemy of the state.
0: Well, for a lot of reasons, but not the least of which is you are in the inside and you, and you have, and you have quote unquote chosen to betray that.
1: Yeah. And you know, the, the idea that these young white, these young teenagers, these boys, you know, there's something interesting as well. There's a nuance to this, which is, it's not that they were all going into this sausage, this factory, the sausage machine of, of becoming soldiers in entirely aware or entirely willing to uphold the state, the concept of white supremacy and, and, and the apartheid system as a as a as a social political system, in a way they were kind of naive to it. They, it was it's brought upon them. They they have no choice in it. It's an interesting idea that these white teenagers who we associate with having the greatest freedoms at the time had no choice in this. We were not a they, had, they. There was a limitation on them too. They, their freedom was in a way also curtailed by the fact that they had to they had to subscribe.
0: One of our minor listeners were speaking with Oliver Hermanus. He is the director and screenwriter of the film *Mafi*. This is a, a, probably another whole discussion, but it's fascinating to hear kind of this uh, marriage of uh, church and state in this, in this sort of, in in maintaining this system of repression and racism, and how often that motif plays out has played out around the world in terms of oppressive states. The easy easy examples are germany was a christian state you, you can run through a, a whole almost every authoritarian state has the veneer of some sort of religious uh, ideology to in 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 terms of being able to have moral authority over their people but that's not for this <laughs> discussion right now but it certainly is it certainly is a theme that plays out uh, in, in many ways i do want to talk just for a second or two about the, the the war itself uh south africa angola uh that era the the early night the late 1970s early 1980s and just what how little we even know or understand about what was going on in that part of africa during that period of time and how truly horrific those wars were how many hundreds of thousands of people perished during that period of time do you want to talk a little about that
1: it was, yeah, it was an incredibly strange, it's a very strange war because it's sort of like, it never really fully started. It was kind of constantly covert. It wasn't that there, there was never a sort of official declaration of war from South Africa against Angola. It was kind of all this counterins- these insurgents and counterinsurgencies. And, and, you know, America was kind of in the background on the South African side supplying the military vehicles and the arms to South Africa, because this was also just ultimately a war of ideology against communism. Um, and Cuba was kind of supplying... The arms to Swapo and the Angolans. It was just this cold war, I guess you could describe it, um, of, of ideas. And because of that, because it kind of went under the radar in so many ways, it was also a conflict that allowed for really horrific, you know, treatment and, and torture and terrorization. And, they, you know, the, the the rules of war did not always apply. And, and we certainly could have gone a lot further in Murphy in, in talking about that, demonstrating that, because we we had done a lot of research and it was a bit of a no man's land when it came to the the, the treatment of one another and, and the, the atrocities that occurred. Um, yeah, very, very grim, Yeah, very grim war.
0: I just wanted to set it up, uh, set up sort of the frame for this because as, like so many of these kinds of wars, uh, the U- US war in Central America feels very much like a war where tens of thousands of people just sl- were slaughtered. And at the end of it, it's a kind of a like, why and there's a sort of this but anyway there's yeah.
1: <laughs> yes Not... it's senseless and, and, and even the you know the the reason for this conflict is kind of silly because angola is still angola and the border that was being fought on is no longer part of south africa it's the north border now of namibia mm-hmm. um so it it really really was really was a senseless uh, military exercise Well, I want
0: to talk about uh, the film, (laughs) Moffy, and the (laughs) cast. And uh, I thought that Kai-Luke Brummer was absolutely spectacular in the role. Talk a little bit about the cast and how how you pulled all the the different uh, performances. What were you looking for in these performances? Because they're across the board. They're terrific.
1: Thank you. Uh, I think what we were looking for... I think we wanted to get the age right. You know, When you have a film that's about a group of teenagers between 16 and 20, really, you're hoping to find actors who kind of look 16 to 20. Um, and, and sometimes you can strike it lucky, you can find an actor who's actually in their mid 20s, like Kai, who can still play a teenager quite successfully. But because we had so many characters we you know the the casting director and I really wanted to have nuance in in the casting and in the and the characterization. So we we were very determined to just get a bunch of young teen like boys to get the teenagers young men together who we knew would probably have no acting experience but who would have the energy that we were looking for and and it was a long process because almost 2 years to find all of them and then they were just great because i think that the, the excitement of making a movie and the excitement of it being a, a movie like a military movie to many of them was the fun of like oh it's going to be you know a military film a lot of them were that very appealing you know they were just really gung-ho and they had no idea that it was going to be as <laughs> grueling and exhausting and tiring and physically draining but i must be honest they each day they would they would end the day of shooting and I could just see the utter exhaustion and then they would, but they would arrive the next day, you know, with that same willingness and eagerness to just get back into it. Um, and I just loved, I, I actually I was reminded of a quote, I think it's a Hitchcock quote, where he sort of said that the nature of directing is sending the actor out to battle every day. When they come back, you promise them that it won't happen again, that was the last time. And you do the very same thing to them the very next day, <laughs> which is exactly what I did.
0: That's a great quote. I love that. And there's so much energy. I mean, you, you put that many young men th- that age, the the, the energy. <laughs> just, I mean, I'm in the film you can see it, but I can imagine on set there's just this kind of, I'm sure, yes. this kind of raw energy going on all the time. Yeah, yeah testosterone. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> absolutely. In fact, it was really, it was quite. You could really sense it. You could really, really sense it. You know, when you when you did scenes. When we did scenes where there was, you know, a bunch, like, you know, it's a lot of them running around and like being attacked, you know, when they get off these trains, they are all these military soldiers who are like trying to you know, beat them into submission and scare them. And when you create those moments, you can after a couple of takes, you really do sense that these guys are getting really worked up um, and there is an energy and, and it, it became something that I really loved because it just meant that like, if it resonates for, for all of the crew and, you know, on the day, you just know that hopefully it's resonating. Um, in the camera. Um, so it was it's always nice when it feels real. I, I love when things feel real because it just it feels like you're getting somewhere from a creative point of view.
0: There's also the portrayals in here, these careful relationships that develop between Stess yeah. and and Vanderswart is beautiful. It's beautiful to watch, it's beautiful to, to sort of under the circumstances, how careful and how how all of the different things that could go wrong. Uh, are always in the kind of in the background and uh, I just thought it played out beautifully.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, yeah, there was always the hope of making f- this, this This subject matter has been explored before, not just the, obviously the military, but also, you know, gay in the military, queerness in the military, And so there was always the desire from everyone involved that we were making something that would hopefully contribute to that band of cinema as opposed to just sort of imitate it or, or repeat it. It was always the want of us adding to a conversation rather than you know, just yeah, echoing.
0: Film has, I'm sure, opened in South Africa. I'm kind of curious about the reaction. Um, has it sparked conversation? What 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 sort of uh, reaction has it been uh, getting in South Africa?
1: Yes. Obviously the word Morphe is a is a bad word. So when you have a movie called Morphe and you take it out in South Africa and it opens in South Africa with, you know, bullboards outside of airports that just have the word Moffy all over it and over highways and you know there was a huge media outdoor media campaign for the release of the fall. And so it just undeniable sparking of conversation because you've got people calling into radio stations asking why is that word on a, on a highway that I drive down every day because it's such a it's a derogatory term and so the movie is very much it was very much a provocation and and its advertising was as such as well but I think what's important for South Africans when they go to the movies particularly when they watch South African films is that if we're telling telling stories about our past particularly. I think what, what is important for the audience is that it gives them a greater insight into how the other half lived or to give them some kind of understanding of the other perspectives. We're a country that were denied access to one another. It, where even for white people, they were denied. Even if they wanted to connect, they were not allowed to. So we've all grown up in separation. Apartheid means separation. So these kinds of stories allow us if, to... Sort of get a sense of what the world looked like from the other side, and I I think if if I think that's what people appreciated. I think it I think it allowed many people who are not white, like you know black and coloured South Africans, to for me even that was my kind of hope as 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 a member of that race group to make a piece of work that gave me some kind of understanding of the other side. And so I, I'm very happy that that's been I think how South Africans have taken the film as as a window. In the film,
0: there's only a brief window into the life of uh, Africans uh, in the film. Yep. And it's in the train station and it's kind of a gut punch. And and the reaction of that elderly man standing, having to stand up and be, um, you know, the abuse that was heaped upon him, yeah. physical and, and otherwise. It, and to watch his reaction, it's rather understated, but nonetheless, it really hits hard, It really lands, if you will. Away as as the train is pulling away, and you see in his face, and you can see his reaction. This is his life. You can tell just in that moment. This is something that he lives with every day, and it's and he's powerless to stop it. And he's absolute it's powerlessness. Absolute. It's an it's a remarkable, brief but remarkable uh, scene in the film. And congratulations on this film.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you very very much. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Again, the film is called Mafia, and we've been talking with the director and screenwriter of the film, Oliver Hermanus. Oliver, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar.